You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. But he's moving next month to Hawaii. How crazy is that? Who wants to move to Hawaii? I want to move to Hawaii. <laughs> anyway, I just want to say with the church, I think we've got to take advantage of every moment we get to see Soma. Amen? Give them big hugs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's great to be together this morning. Grateful uh, for our time uh, together. We're going to close out our message series today, Christian-ish, that we've been uh, doing here the past uh, few weeks. And um, so, um, yeah, let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for what you've given us and what you've done, what you're doing, how you're working, how you're moving. You are an amazing God. I think today, Father, I really want to pray that our hearts would be opened and our minds would be opened to make sure to 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 help us be sure, to be certain, to to know that we are in a correct standing with you according to your will and really living out your purpose for what we've been created for, uh, which is primarily, Father, to have a deep relationship with you. Thank you so much uh, for Jesus. Thank you for giving us Jesus, that through him we can have a relationship and access to you. He is Lord. And I pray today as we talk about that, we would understand more and more he is Lord. He is Lord of our time. He is Lord of our money. He is Lord of our relationships. Uh, Father, he is Lord of our children. He is Lord of our employment. He is Lord of our government. He is Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Hey, do you guys like our new setup up here? This is kind of cool, right? I don't feel all blocked, all like this screen's going to fall on me or anything like that. And I love it. We just got, and I, I appreciate so much. You know, we have an incredible team of sisters who come early to set up this thing here and the lights and stuff. Uh, I love the little the decor. We're going to add some more to it here in the in the weeks and months to come. But it just makes me feel like I'm in the in someone's living room. You know what I mean? It's kind of, and this is kind of the feel that we want to have here at church. We're family. We want to be in the home here and and have conversations uh, where we can talk about truth and talk about matters of life. And uh, my prayer and my hope today is that you would leave here encouraged and inspired, but also challenged uh, in, in in thinking about um, salvation. And thinking about your relationship with God. Um, we've been tackling this topic, this idea of, of being Christian-ish. And the reason why is because there are so many different types of people that proclaim to be Christians and define that in so many different ways. Uh, you got your Easter Christmas Christian. They proclaim to be Christian, but they only come to, to meet with other Christians on Easter and Christmas, Right? You got your Sunday drive-through Christian. You know, I'm gonna find the, get get to church, get there just when they start, and leave right when they're about to finish. Drive-through Christian, right? You got the consumer Christian. Well, this church isn't meeting my needs, so I'm gonna go to this church, and oh, that's not meeting my needs either, so I'm gonna go. To the, oh, I don't like the music here, so I'm gonna go. It's kind of all about me, the consumer Christian. Uh, the I don't believe in organized religion Christian, but I'm still a Christian. But I just don't believe in group structured, you know, kind of Christianity. Uh, it's me and Jesus, and we got it going. That's the kind of, you got that kind of Christian too. You got the praise him and raise him Christian. You know, the the overly overly religious speak and praise Jesus, praise Hallelujah. Oh, brother Christian, brother sister. You know, kind of the, the verbiage that just spills out that sometimes can come across like, is this guy for real, or is he kind of just making stuff up as he talks, right? 
The praise him and raise I just made that stuff that up, that praise him and raise him Christian thing. Uh, so anyway, but you got different types of of people that claim to be Christian, but yet just kind of tweak it according to what they want. Tweak it according to what my need is at the time. And so I'm going to we're going to read some things today that. I mean, if you're here for the first time, I'm grateful for you coming. I hope that you come back again. Because some things may rub you the wrong way or ruffle your feathers a little bit. Uh, but I just want to encourage you to just come back again because we love you and you'll love this church. Trust me. Uh, but I, I want you to be open to what the scripture has to say. If you've been coming to church here for a while and, and you're not necessarily, you're kind of just still trying to figure out what you believe, where you stand, I really hope today will help you get a better footing in your relationship with God. That you will leave here a little bit more, okay, focused on what you need to do to make sure that you are connecting in your relationship with God. If you're a member of the congregation here and you're a Christian, my prayer and my hope for you is that you will leave here recommitted to Jesus. Not necessarily churchianity, but Jesus-focused Christianity. You guys with me on this? And that Pharisaism and, and, and just the legalistic type of Christianity that is so easy will not become what we're defined by, but that it would be a genuine relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus says something very haunting, very scary, as he's talking to a crowd of people. In Matthew chapter 7. I hope I got the right slide here. You guys see Matthew 7 right there? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people and, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is a haunting passage. I read it and I'm literally just getting chills right now thinking about this passage. I think we read sometimes, I think sometimes we can read something like this and be like, oh, well, Jesus wasn't that serious. Jesus is more loving than that. You know, how could a loving God be so, you know, clear cut about who's his and who's not? Right? Love, love should overcome everything. This is kind of our mentality. And yet Jesus is very clear. He took people to task about how they lived and how they spoke. Saying the right things, prophesying, didn't get you in. Didn't mean he knew you. Performing miracles. He says you perform miracles. You drove out demons. I mean, these people, it, it, have you ever driven out a demon? Have you performed a miracle? I mean, these people are saying, I perform miracles. I drove out demons. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Don't you want to be in a situation where you know, you know, you're sure, you're certain 
that you are known by God. I don't know about where you stand or where you're at in your faith, but I know for myself, this is what scares me. What scares me is that I will get to a point where I think I'm known by God, and then I will end up in the last day in front of Jesus, and he says, I never knew you. And I will be, well, Jesus, I preached your word. I prophesied in your name. I helped people. I loved people. I, 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 I love my wife. I lo-. And he'll say, I never knew you. Now, a lot of times we can read this and be confused. Like, wait, so then what do I need to do? What does one do to ensure to be confident in their standing with God? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that today. I'm glad you're thinking that way. Um, you know, there's verses in the Bible that talk about this idea of being confident, being secure, being sure. Second Peter 1 talks about, you know, if, if you have these qualities in increasing measure, uh, talking about gentleness and self-control and these kind of things, he says uh, it, it, it will make your calling and election sure. Philippians 2, uh, after talking about humility, he talk, uh, the writer there, Paul, says, you know, you've got to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. In other words, there's, there's, this, there's this idea throughout the scriptures that, that you would, uh, with fear and trembling and humility, always approach the throne of God and, and, and be sure that you're right, that you're good with him uh, because of your relationship with him, but also humble to the fact that you need to learn and grow and continue changing to become more like Jesus Christ. And um, um, I, I think there's two verses uh, that come to mind in thinking about this uh, kind of being sure, being confident uh, in our relationship with God and where we stand with Him and making sure that we are known by God. This is the goal. I want to be known by God. You know, actually, that verse, Matthew 7, right afterwards, he says, uh, therefore, uh, he talks about the foolish man and the wise man. He says, the, the, the wise man, the one who listens to my word and puts it into practice and builds a foundation. The foolish man is the one who uh, listens to my words and does not put them into practice. And so he kind of gives you the solution. This is what you've got to do. You want to be known by me? You want to be known at the last day by Jesus? Put into practice what he writes, what he talks about, and, how he, and imitate him. Walk in his steps. Two verses that come to mind thinking about this. 1 Timothy 4.16. Is it up there? Is it up there now? Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. Life and doctrine matter to God. How you live and what it is you believe matter to God. It actually is a matter of salvation. Because if you do these things, if you watch your life and doctrine closely and you persevere, that's what it says. You'll save yourself and you'll save those who listen to you. But here's the issue. Here's what happens. Paul tells the young evangelist in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. He says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 
He tells the young evangelist right before, he says, you've got to preach the word. You've got to preach the word in season and out of season uh, because this is what's going to happen. People will gather around them teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Things that have elements of truth but in, in them but are not the full, whole truth. But they sound so good and right. And so Paul, he deals, the apostle here, he deals with this issue as the church gets older and as the church, as the message of the gospel spreads around. And so what happens is these teachers, some teachers from Jerusalem, from Judea, end up going to these small congregations, these, these assemblies, these gatherings, these, as we've talked about before, ecclesias, right? And, and they start spreading this message that sounds so good, but it's not centered on the full reality and truth that is Christ. You have these guys who were Judaizers, we call them Judaizers, and, and who, said, who said who would go into these Gentile, outside of the Jewish race communities and say, listen, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be identified as a Christian, as a son of God, you need to be circumcised. So as a Gentile, outside of the Jewish race, you need to go through this little procedure. Just a little procedure, don't worry about it. Can you imagine that midweek service or that church service, hearing that announcement? If you want to be right with Jesus, you must be circumcised. Line up, fellas. <laughs> I don't know if I would have wanted to be part of that church. And they made this a condition of identity with God. You guys follow me on this? Then you had this other group called, uh, they, they would call the Gnostics. And these Gnostics... They said they had received this, like a special revelation, special knowledge based on certain facts and philosophies that showed that, that knowledge was more important than the pure message of the gospel. And with that knowledge comes the embracing of certain rules in order to ensure that you are in good standing with God. And so Jesus then becomes more of a tangential issue and not the centerpiece. Because the centerpiece is your knowledge. How much you know. And so you had these guys coming into these small gatherings, spreading this sort of message, confusing the church. I think it's important we talk about this. Because we live in a world full of all types of information, and when there is so much information, there can be a lot of confusion as to what the Bible actually says. And we, as a people, I include myself in this we have a tendency to surround ourselves with teachings that sound good, but may not necessarily be true. Believe in yourself. Obey your thirst. Just do it. Nike, right? Just do it. Don't worry about the consequences. Just do it. Sounds good. All right, I'll do it. If you just had the right amount of money, everything would be better. Prosperity theology. Worship God and he'll, he'll bless you in all your material possessions. I actually, as a, as a, teen, as a teen, I remember as a, as a mentor for a young, a young teen high school student, uh, this is before I was married and had the incredible wisdom of my wife. Um, but this young man, I got, caught, I actually got, got just for a moment caught up into his web of, of belief system, 
because he basically, the issue is his parents were low income. He was low income, uh, obviously, and he wanted to basically what he was saying is, if only I had this amount of money, then this would happen, this would happen, this would happen, this would happen, this would go away, this problem would be solved. And I actually, for like five minutes in that conversation, got pulled into that. And I was like, you know what? You're right, dude. Money will solve all your problems. Forget what Biggie Small says. More money, more problems. No, 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 no. Money will solve all of your problems. I literally got caught up into that web. This is where we go. Follow your passion and you will have success. Well, that can be true in some sense, some, some ways. All paths lead to God. Truth is relative. What counts is your experience and my experience of truth. That's what matters. Just believe in, and then even in Christianity, in Christendom, you can, we can have these kind of watered down or doctrine, not watered down, but just, just doctrine that sounds good, have elements of truth, but it's not the full truth. Just believe in Jesus and accept him into your heart and you'll be fine. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. They all sound good and sound right and make us feel inclusive and at peace with everyone and with ourselves, but Jesus wasn't that way. In fact, he was exclusive. In fact, he scared people away with the level of commitment he called them to. And so what we're going to do today is read parts of what Paul wrote to a young church who were on track to be a bit confused with some of this teaching and, and, and that sounded and looked good. It was a church on the verge of becoming Christian-ish. Colossians chapter 1. Now, a little background here on Colossians. He's never visited this church before. It was actually planted and started by his buddy Epaphras. But he starts his letter to Colossians, and, and he really helps to point them back to the greatness of Jesus and, and the gospel of Christ, especially in chapter 1. You can read that on your own, right? chapter 1, 15 through 18, around there. He talks about how Jesus is the center and the authority and everything. And he reminds them of the purity of the gospel and Jesus dying for your sins and rising from the dead. And then Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, he says, uh, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so what Paul is trying to do is trying to get their attention back on the heart of the matter. Jesus reconciles. There's something broken in the world. And the only answer here is that Jesus reconciles all things through his blood. He is the only and best sacrifice, our only chance at a new life of freedom and fulfilling our purpose that we were created for. He's trying to get them back on track. You guys with me here? Then he gets to the meat of sort of refuting some of the teachers who had begun to influence the church. Now, we got to remember that he's writing to a group of people who already believe in Jesus, have already made the commitment to follow Jesus. These are not people outside of the faith. These are people within uh, the faith, okay? So, Colossians 2. You can turn your Bibles there with me, or you can read along in the slides. i got them here for you. See to it, Colossians 2, verse 8. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And in him, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him for your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Wow, that's a lot of stuff right there. He's helping the church by pointing them back to the reality of what they have in Christ. Because these teachers have come in and started saying things that have confused them. These, these Judaizing Gnostics, so let's just combine the two. Some of these guys were saying, as a Jew, my identity is found in God because I've been circumcised. This is separate from everybody else. God knows his people because of circumcision. Therefore, if you want to be part of God's people, you must be circumcised and adhere to these laws and adhere to these rules and these kind of things. And then you'll be a real, true Christian. Paul says, no, 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 no. You see, the circumcision that happened is a different type of circumcision that happened to you through Jesus. He says, in Christ, in Jesus, all of the deity, all of the fullness of God lives in bodily form. God as human has entered the world. In Christ, you and I are brought to fullness. See, outside of Christ, we're incomplete because there's no connection to God, no road to God except through Jesus. We were created, you and I were created for a purpose for a relationship with God. But we mess it up with our sin, with us wanting to be in control of our lives. And so we don't experience the fullness of what God has created us for and wants for us unless we have Jesus. This is huge. I talked to a lot of people when we study the Bible and we kind of read about their faith and, and talk about Jesus and, and many people come to our church feeling empty, feeling like they're missing something. They believe, they love God, sort of, kind of, but I, these things have happened in my life and I don't know. Or they believe, they love God, but there's just something missing, an emptiness. And you know what it is? Is that there's no Jesus. Jesus isn't Lord. And Paul is telling you, listen, in Christ, in Jesus, there is fullness. You will be full, not empty, not incomplete. That's what we are outside of Christ. But in Christ, there is fullness. He says we're circumcised. He says we actually are circumcised. What, what gave the Jews identity was this minor medical procedure. But Paul says what gives you identity now is your sinful flesh being cut and disposed of by Jesus. And we are raised with him through baptism. Okay, let's not get it twisted here, all right? Baptism is an essential piece of salvation process and being in right standing with God. Well, Reuben, is it faith or is it baptism? Is it repentance or is it faith or is it baptism? Let me tell you something. Yes, 
Yes and yes. It's all of that. All of it together. God, let me tell you something. God has given you and I a recipe. And there's different ingredients to make sure that you and I are certain and are sure in our standing with God. So is it at faith, though? Is it at repentance? Is that baptism? It's all of it. It's all of it. Saying you're saved at faith without repentance and baptism is like, I'm going to bake an apple pie without the apples. I'm going to have some cheesecake, but without the cheese. It all goes together. See, I need to believe, I need to have faith that belief prompts me to make a decision to repent. And in the pattern of the early church and what teaches what Jesus taught himself and his teachings, forgiveness, circumcision, identity happens not at the belief part, nor the repentance part, but as I'm raised up in baptism with him. You guys follow me on this? That's what this, it's just one verse on baptism. If you have an issue with this, let me encourage you, you go back and read the scriptures. Read the book of Acts, follow the pattern of the book of Acts, read what happened in the first century church, read what Jesus taught. You must be born again in water and in spirit. Well, I was baptized when I was a little baby. Well, how did you know that you repented as a little baby? Wrestle with it. I said I was going to say some stuff that might bother you. Come back, though. We're going to talk some more about this stuff. Let's not be confused. Circumcision, identity with God, happens when we are raised with Christ in baptism. But you need to have belief. You need to have faith. Because without faith, you're just getting wet. Without faith, I go swimming in the pool and I'm being baptized every day during the summertime. Which I wish, not every day, but you know what I'm saying. Without faith, my girls are being baptized in the pool. You know what I'm saying? Faith is essential. But faith also produces action. And that action is repentance. A decision to repent. And say, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm making a conscious decision to change. To be different. To go a different route. Jesus is Lord. I need to be baptized. Be truly circumcised of my flesh to be right standing with God. You guys follow me on this? Let's not get confused. Let's not become Christian-ish. This is what Jesus, what God himself has designed. We need all three. Faith, repentance, and baptism. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's go to Colossians 2, verse 13. He keeps on going. He says, listen, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. Amen. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And it's very similar to what Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 2 in Ephesians 2, that you are dead in your sin. You are dead in your sin. There's no mercy, no forgiveness, no fullness. Living physically alive, but really walking dead. And Jesus makes us 
alive. What you and I would have to pay as punishment with our lives because of our own decisions and rebellion and the wrath of God that we would have to endure outside of God's will, Jesus has taken all of that away and nailed it to the cross. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's the good news of Jesus. You and I are objects. This is what the, the, the scripture says, uh, that we are objects of wrath, deserving of God's full wrath and judgment. And yet he says, no, I'm going to give Jesus. I'm going to take every rebellious thought and action that you've had. Every time that you want to take control of your life and not do it, do things in my will. He says, I'm going to take that and nail it all to the cross. And Jesus then becomes the centerpiece. He is the Lord. He is everything. There is nothing outside of Christ. We can do nothing outside of Christ. We are empty outside of Christ. We are not full outside of Christ. We are not fulfilling God's purposes outside of Christ. Jesus. Jesus is Lord. The cross gives us hope. There's victory in the cross because without it, there's no resurrection. And without the resurrection, there's absolutely no way for you and I to have a chance at being in good standing with God. You can, you can obey all the laws that you want to and be Christian-ish, but never experience true freedom without being at the cross. And Jesus would say, I, I never knew you. You know what the cross does? It equalizes everyone. It equalizes everyone. At the cross, there's no black, white, Latino, Asian. There's, there's none of that. At the cross, there's no poor, rich, middle income, low income. There's none of that. At the cross, what equalizes us is our sin. At the cross, it's just we are all sinful. She's as sinful as I am. And at the cross, it just humbles you out. We are all weak. We are all sinful at the foot of the cross. There's no race, no ethnicity, no socioeconomic case system at the foot of the cross. Because when we come to the foot of the cross, we find our true identity, which is we're just sinful beings in need of God's grace. Therefore, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, he tells them. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, the reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great, also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Did that brush show up? Yes, I got it right. He gets back to the issue. After proclaiming the pure gospel, the pure message of Christ, 
He says, now, because of Jesus, therefore, all these holidays, all these, all these laws, all these things that, you are, that these teachers are telling you you've got to fulfill and keep, they're nothing. They're a shadow of the reality found in Christ. All of the Old Testament law points to Jesus. All the poetry that you grew up with as a Jew has grown up, they've grown up hearing, and all the prophecies from their own history, all the festivals celebrated to commemorate God's provision and faithfulness to his people Israel, all of it pointed to Jesus. And now that Jesus, this is Paul's point, now that Jesus has arrived and died and risen, all that stuff means nothing. I mean, you can do it if you want, but there's no power in it. So celebrate Christmas or don't celebrate Christmas. doesn't matter. I had an issue one time with somebody that wanted to leave our church because we celebrated Christmas. And it comes from sort of pagan history and stuff like that. And it was just all this stuff. And I'm like, at the end of the day, the whole country is thinking about Jesus. So I'm going to put my Santa hat on and have a good time with my kids. In other words, there's no power in it. These different celebrations, these different things, there's no power in it. Sabbath day, there's no power in it because Jesus canceled all of it. The only power is in Christ. He tells these guys, he says, be careful. Be careful with people who go into great detail about what they have seen and all the knowledge they have acquired from reading all kinds of books and being so educated. Who did Jesus use to advance the first century church? Unschooled and ordinary men to carry his message. The gospel message is not complicated. It's not a, you know, the historical document said that usually what happens in this lexicon over here, I mean, it's not, there's nothing The gospel is simple. You're sinful. Jesus died for you. But he overcame death by raising from the dead so that you and I could have a chance at being one with God. Simple. You don't need any Greek or Hebrew with that. It's right there. You guys follow me here? Be careful. Now, listen. I love reading books. I love reading stuff and learning and education. I love that stuff. But once, once someone starts to make the gospel complicated, those red flags need to start going up. I'll just say this, just on the side. We need to be careful what you listen to on YouTube videos and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. I love that stuff. I, I watch a lot of that stuff. I listen to podcasts. I love that. But I've seen people with strong conviction about the gospel of Jesus and his plan of salvation become completely confused and twisted because of false teaching and sincere followers who look like they have it all together. And it makes sense, and it sounds right, and that sounds good, and it's logical. And they don't go back to the Scripture. Or they go back to the Scripture and they start interpreting it through the lens of some of these false teachings. Not even false teachings, just just things that that sound good but are not necessarily the full gospel, the full truth. I have a question for you. So anyways, be careful with that stuff. Listen all you want to, but be careful. I have a question for you. Have you lost connection? Have you lost connection with the head? 
Think of the teachings of Jesus. Denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, becoming a fisher of men, having the heart of a child, feeding the hungry, clothe the naked, give up everything, love one another, wash some feet. Have you lost connection with the head? This needs to be our compass. This needs to be our guide. Once you start losing connection with the head, clarity on salvation issues become fuzzy. Spiritual maturity is defined by how many authors you've read instead of how much scripture you've memorized and are obeying. Discipleship is defined by law-keeping and rituals instead of relationship and servitude. When we lose connection with the head, here's what happens too. When we lose connection with the head, we start mistrusting those that God has placed in areas of leadership in our life. To lead the church, to lead our ministries, to lead our small groups. Let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit, how awesome the Holy Spirit is. If, if I am going to lead you astray, the Holy Spirit will take care of me and take me out. If Joe, as your elder, is going to start shepherding you astray, the Holy Spirit will take him out. The Holy Spirit cares more about this church than any one of us. Our connection to the head, though, makes us want to trust people a little bit more and trust the Holy Spirit a little bit more. You may not like the person leading your small group. They may smell really bad. They may, they may have, like, gap tooth or whatever. I don't know what it is that you don't like about your small group leader. But at this time and this point, God has some way somehow placed that person in your life to guide and shepherd that small group. So if you don't trust them, the person, trust the Holy Spirit. You see, you can only do this when we're connected to the head. Okay, I, I say this because I want to share something with you real quick, just a church thing. So if you're in, in the church, pay attention. In the family ministry, uh, we are going to embark this summer on some, some, some changes in the way that we're structured, in the way that we're uh, uh, carrying out the mission. And some of it may change small groups or, or discipling relationships. And, and I don't want you to freak out. Everybody right now is going to not pay attention to the rest of my sermon now. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? what's going to happen? What about me? What about my... I understand change can, we can be fearful in change, but I'm just telling you, listen, the Holy Spirit through prayer, through fasting, through conversations uh, with many ha- have, have revealed, you know what, let's, everything is an experiment. Let's try something a little bit different and let's see where it goes. So today after church, we're going to have a leaders meeting upstairs with all of our small group leaders and shepherds from the family ministry. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. And if you're not coming to that meeting, you're, you're probably freaking out. Like, what's going to happen? Just, let me just tell you something. Just trust the Holy Spirit. How do I do that, Reuben? Get connected to the head. Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a little tangent. Let's go back to the scripture here. We're going to take communion at this point. And, um, and I want to I just challenge your thinking. I want to challenge you as, you as we take communion. Your move. I want to challenge you, if you've been attending here for a bit and are, are, you're unsure about where you stand with God, I want to challenge you to decide to get in a personal Bible study with someone from the church here. You don't want to be at the end of your days hearing from Jesus, I never knew you. 
but Jesus, I went to church. In fact, that great Long Beach church was really cool, and I went there all the time. Jesus, I performed miracles. You want to make sure you are living in his will and have gone through his steps of making your salvation sure. So you've been coming here for a while, and you're kind of like, huh, this is a little bit different. This church is teaching some different, some kind of, you know, okay, let's, let's have a personal Bible study and figure it out with the scriptures. Just like Samantha and Ron were sharing, they humbled themselves to allow people to teach them. You never know what could happen there. If it's your first time here, I wanted, I wanted to challenge you to decide to join a small group. Because faith is grown in relationships with others. We were made for community. We were made for circles. We, we learn, I talked about this before, we learn in rows, but we grow in circles. And so maybe you're not ready, you're here for the first time or for the second time, you're not ready for a personal Bible study. Well, just join a small group. Join a group of, of people that, that you can have family with and, and relationships with and do life together with. We have, fam- we have small groups in, our, in every life stage. Family, uh, families, single parents, uh, college students, uh, single adults, uh, teenagers. I mean, we have small groups in every kind of life stage you can think of. And I just want to encourage you, join a small group. If you're a member of the church, a follower of Jesus, decide to recommit to the head. <laughs> Sometimes we can get swayed. We can get, well, I, I saw this thing on YouTube, and I saw this thing, I heard this thing on the radio the other day, and this guy was saying this, and it actually sounds makes sense. How come we don't talk about that in our church? Well, I'd encourage you, get connected to the head, Jesus Christ. Look at Scripture. Read the gospel. Are you getting swayed by false teaching? How's your conviction about discipleship and God's plan of salvation? Are you bearing fruit of the Spirit or just keeping the law? Have you lost connection with the head? Recommit to the pure gospel of Christ and stop stop being Christian-ish. Get back to Jesus. A lot of churches in our world that are Christian-ish. I don't want our church here to become Christian-ish. We are followers of Jesus, the pure gospel of Christ. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. He said it. I am the way. I am the truth. But that's so exclusive. Why would Jesus do that? Because he's Jesus, the Son of God. There's only one way to God, and that's through Christ. Don't get it twisted. Let's follow him. I want to meditate on a verse that Paul wrote to the Colossians as we take communion. Colossians 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Isn't that the truth? But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Once you were alienated from God, enemies because of your evil behavior, but now because of Jesus' 
sacrifice, you're free from accusation, holy in His sight. But there's a condition. Continue in your faith. Establish and firm. Not swayed all around, but established and firm. Don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. You know what? This is what our, this is what our world needs. This is what you need. This is what I need. Reconciliation with God through Christ. Brothers and sisters, friends, family members, let's not water down the gospel. Let's not gather around us teachers to say what our itching ears want to hear. Let us be a people connected to the head, watching the body grow as God causes it to grow, as we the ligaments support and hold it together by living in His will, not our will. Let's pray as we take... Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.